It's Wednesday night, and you know what that means. Living Off the Land is coming to you live from the LOTL studios with episode 224. I'm your host, Dan, here with your co-host, Steven. We are locked and loaded, day late, but not a dollar short, as we're recording this on Wednesday night. And Steven, how we doing? Riding on Route 224 right through Summit County. Is that, is that what we're doing right now? Uh, yeah. yeah, sure. Kind of. I don't well, know what that no. means. But, but anyway... Um, yeah, the rubber bowl used to be on that road. Eh. Years and years ago. That's a throwback. Um, what does the rubber bowl have to do with anything? It's on Route 224. This is episode 224. Oh. It's just, you know. Anyway. Right over my head. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so it looks like you got a tall boy for today's uh, beer of the week. What do we got? tall boy. Yeah, so getting right into it. Uh, this is a request from our good buddy down in Columbus, Jordan uh, Hoffman. The Hoff, as uh, we like to... Uh, as we like to call them, uh, this is from originally from Scotland, uh, but has a facility. Scotland has a facility in Columbus, Ohio. Brewdog is the brewery, and we are well. I am drinking tonight the Cannon Blast American Pale Ale, which is mm. a Columbus Blue Jackets beer. I don't know if it's the official beer of the Columbus Blue Jackets. That's I believe it is. The we salute you. All right. So anyway, uh, uh, Cannon Blast from Brewdog. It is, I believe, one of the official beers of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Has the Blue Jackets logo on it, and it is an American Pale Ale, five percent alcohol by volume. And Steve said correctly, I am drinking this out of a 16-ounce can. Got this at Max Beverage in Parma Heights. Uh, and uh, Brewdog is Columbus brewed in uh, Columbus, Ohio, driven by passion and united by Brewdog. So this is a very tasty little pale ale um, from Brewdog that I am just cracking into. Very crisp, um, very... Uh, it's got a little bit of a bite to it, I guess you could say. Um, the can itself is really cool. Very simple, but very cool. It says, fire that cannon up. And if you've ever been to a Columbus Blue Jackets game, which I am hoping to get to my first Blue Jackets game since I don't know how long. Have mm. I ever been to a Blue Jackets game? Oh, that's kind of sad if you haven't. Is It's It's awesome. Nationwide Arena is a gleaming, shiny facility. I the might the, the have atmosphere never been, of games is great. I might have never been to an actual Blue They Jacket. have poutine, which, if you've never had it, is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't I, – I, if I've been to a Blue Jackets game, I don't remember it, which is sad. Hmm. Although, uh, I, the, the, first ten, the first ten years of Blue, Blue Jackets probably uh, – even Blue Jackets fans don't really want to They don't to have a very illustrious history. Uh, <laughs> they've, in recent years, they've won a couple of playoff series, but, like, they've never won Stanley Cup. They haven't really sniffed one either. So, you know, the, the performances on the ice could be better, but, uh, you know, they're trying. Uh, yeah, that's not to say that they don't have a uh, young up-and-coming squad this year. They just uh, – uh, 
they just made a splash of a signing this offseason, signing Johnny Hockey uh, to their squad. So we shall see what they got coming up for the upcoming season. We'll have Jordan on here uh, hopefully in a few weeks to uh, kind of preview the Blue Jackets season. And, yeah, hoping to get down to a Blue Jackets game uh, for sure this season to, to go check it out. So, But Cannon Blast, American Pale Ale from BrewDog. I'm going to go ahead and rate this a 7.6. Mm-hmm. Very good beer. I uh, would definitely get it again. Would love to taste this on draft. Maybe once I you know go down to Columbus, uh, Jordan and I can hit up BrewDog and uh, have this uh, lovely brew on draft. There is a BrewDog now open in Cleveland, a, a, uh, a tap room and a – uh, brewery that's on the down in the flats it's i don't know the exact address but uh so yeah uh, that's interesting because i don't know the exact address either <coughs> i'm just envisioning if I, you know if it's on the east bank or the west bank uh it's on the west bank oh, okay that makes sense because i couldn't place it on the east bank it's down back by uh is it back by i think merwin's wharf it's on Carter Road in Cleveland. Okay. Um, let me see. That would be near the bridge that they're working on right now. I, I believe think. so. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of over by. It's across the river from uh, Columbus Road. Um, and yeah, near near the old the old West Bank of the Flats. Um, so definitely check it out. It's I haven't been there either. I need to get down there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that is your beer of the week. Go Jackets. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to keep drinking this uh, tasty brew dog. Absolutely. And uh, it's a beautiful day for beer drinking or anything else you might be doing today. Uh, about Got up to almost 80 degrees today. It's been strangely cool uh, the last few days. Good. Uh, which is yeah, it's like we were barely drawing seventy the last couple of days, which is odd for mid-August. But uh, I know a lot of people are digging that. Actually, we had a, not, I mean, we had a pretty brutal July. Didn't have to have not even had to run the air conditioner most of the last week, which is uh, pretty refreshing. I'm sure that we will be back into heat and humidity before too long. Mid 80s this weekend. Yeah. So uh, if you're if you're a fan of like swimming and you know really summery stuff, you'll be back into it before too long. Anyway, one thing, you know, it's it's interesting that the weather was cool this week because um, this week is the, if I can't believe this actually, uh, but this week is the start of high school football in the state of Ohio. Mm. And there is one neighborhood in Cleveland that perhaps is best known for high school football more than any other neighborhood in the city. I'm talking about Glenville. Mm-hmm. And Glenville, they're... Um, High school team, of course, is known as the Tar Blooders. And Glenville High School is actually located at Lakeview Road and East 113th Street. It's actually on the – it's in the eastern side of the Glenville neighborhood. I'm just going to kind of run it down geographically here. Uh, It goes down to Wade Park Avenue in the south. In the the west, it basically parallels Martin Luther King Boulevard and Rockefeller Park. It goes up to Lake Erie in the north. Uh, well, actually, Lake Erie and I-90 because Brattonall kind of burns it on the north as well. And over toward Eddy Road in the east. So this this particular neighborhood, is it really has great sporting culture. I mean, you talk about all the great teams that Glenville has had in the past, not just in football, but also in track and field and, and a bunch of other uh, events. This is where Ted Ginn and Ted Ginn Sr. Uh, with their – 
where they're from, where their whole legacy is. And um, I mean, we don't need to, those are people that need no introduction. Uh, they're, they're extremely well known, not just in the community, but nationally, I feel like, uh, <clears throat> for what they've uh, accomplished, not just on the field, but off of it. But anyway, Glenville neighborhood is one that, you know, for mo a lot of years has been seen as one of the, the rougher neighborhoods. And you'd have to say it, it still is. Uh, it's an area that has struggled with gangs, has struggled with crime. But it is a neighborhood that actually, according to the county auditor's office, uh, between 2020 and 2022, only Huff and Detroit Shoreway had higher rises in average home prices than Glenville. There is a ton of residential building and residential property expansion going on, particularly in the neighborhood south of Superior Avenue, between Superior and Wade Park Avenue. This is the area that just hugs just a little bit north of where the museums and Case Western Reserve University is. In fact, you have a lot of students that rent off-campus housing in these blocks, and that combined with some uh, investment by working professionals at Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals is really starting to turn this part of Glenville, which is, you know, I'm naming off some of the streets here. This would be Lee Avenue. This would be Atasca Avenue. This would be Orville Avenue, Churchill Avenue, uh, the Mary and Bethune School is in this area. Uh, you know, th this is an area that's really coming back big. I have to point out the difference because the the historical core of Glenville neighborhood is along East 105th Street and St. Clair Avenue, and that main intersection up there is where your main commercial uh, businesses are. You have a big plaza there that's actually called the uh, the East Side Market or sometimes the East Side Glenville Market. Uh, this area mostly, I think there's a farmer's market there, but for the most part, it's just chains uh, in this area. And a lot of it is just fast foodie. But if you get to, a little bit to the south of there, if you go down East 105th Street, which maybe this isn't the greatest time to go down East 105th Street because that road has been under construction for over a year. And I swear this is sort of like the horrible project on Center Ridge Road in North Ridgeville, which, if you're not aware, took about three years for them to expand the road from being two lanes to four lanes. It was ridiculous, and I feel like the same thing is happening on East 105th Street because it's been like a, a year and a half now. But if you can get around all the orange barrels, you will actually come upon a corridor that has a lot of nice local businesses, and there's two places that are really well-known for barbecue. And in fact, one of them... I actually had the owner of the business in my lift car one night, oddly enough. And a few weeks later, I actually stopped in his business, which is the B&M Barbecue and Catering Service, which is at the corner of Garfield Avenue and East 105th Street. And I got to tell you, I was impressed. I mean, there are some people that would say that there's some reviews in there that say, like, the food is overpriced. But, like, I think that's that's crazy. Like, most of their menu items are under 10 bucks, which this day and age is, is spectacular when you consider all the inflation that we've had. Uh, this is a place where you can get you can get different barbecue rubs. You can get you can get pork, chicken, ribs. You can get pretty much any sort of protein you would want, and then they got a whole lot of nice side dishes as well. Uh, it's it, like I said. It's 3.8 star rated on Google, which I think is a little bit harsh. I, for some reason, they have a decently high number of one-star ratings that bring it down. But I wholeheartedly endorse this place. And then just down the street from there is the 105 Grill. And the 105 Grill is another, like, 
they do barbecue as well, but they're actually like more just um, straight grill establishment. And in fact, they supposedly, I've not been to this place, but supposedly they have one of the best Philly cheesesteaks in the city, which is hmm. newsworthy to me. I may have to actually uh, put, that, put that to the test. Supposedly, they put a lot of meat on their sandwiches, which is something you don't see very much of here in Cleveland outside of maybe Slimans and a few other places. <clears throat> Yeah. So got to get Michael out there. Um, yeah, the 105 Grill is at the corner of Empire Avenue and <coughs> East 105th Street. That's just a couple blocks south of the B&M Barbecue. Um, and as you as you continue down down East 105th Street, you know, just where you, it's just more neighborhood stuff you come across. Uh, there's a really high proliferation of churches in this neighborhood, which is not unusual. You see that a lot on the east side of Cleveland, um, and just a whole bunch of other local businesses in there. Um, the this is a very Glenville is a very fascinating neighborhood in the, in the sense that, you know, most of the the neighborhoods in Cleveland, I feel like, when you're close to transportation links, that's where the better areas of of a neighborhood are. Hmm. In Glenville, it's actually the opposite. the The northern side of the neighborhood is near ninety is actually the rougher half, and the the side further south toward University Circle is is the neighborhood that is really gentrifying and is you know you can start you're actually starting to see you know, houses in the $150,000, plus range now. So it, it is very interesting to see if that sort of buildup is going to work its way more toward the historical core of Glenville. I think if there's one s- neighborhood in the city that could really, really come back huge if you could just do something about violence and especially gang violence, Glenville's definitely it. Hmm. Because you, you, you see where... People are moving in. They are, you know, they're spending money. They are investing in this. You don't see, other than, you know, you're starting to see it now in Huff and in Glenville. But in a lot of the east side, you don't seem to have that private investment. At just the, the proximity to University Circle with, where you're building these giant high rises now where you've got all these people. And some of these people are not just going to stay in their little building. They're going to venture out. And there's so much potential here that I, you know, if Mayor Bibb and the city council and particularly the members of, from this community can really uh, make some hay in the um, public safety sector, Glenville is going to come back huge in the next 10 years. If, I, if, if the neighborhoods, again, if were a stock, I'd be investing heavily in Huff. I'd be investing pretty heavily in Glenville as well. A lot of culture here, a lot of history. And uh, this, this was, years and years ago, the beginning of Millionaire's Row. Um, the stretch along St. Clair Avenue and... A Superior Avenue, where you had a lot of the really the titans of industry at the time, your John D. Rockefellers, your uh, Andrew Carnegies, uh, who you know owned mansions in this area. This was an area that went from um, from Glenville through Forest Hill through Cl- Collinwood and even into East Cleveland. You know that was the place to be. You know, hundred years ago, even fifty years ago, it was, it was still a pretty desirable place before. The uh, hollowing out of uh, globalization really killed a lot of the factories in this area. And Glenville wasn't hit quite as hard by that as, as Collinwood and East Cleveland were, but you know, it's, it didn't really help. I mean, no neighborhood in Cleveland was really helped by all of that. But uh, really great to see the seeds of development in this area, and it's, it's only going to improve, I think. So that is Glenville, and we can wham that with the right hand. or Wham it. Spike in the football in the end zone. Let's go ahead and wham it. <laughs> wham it. All right, very cool, very cool. Another one in the books. Uh, going back to our neighborhood last week, 
the University Circle and Little Italy areas um, previewing the Feast of the Assumption. Yep. Uh, Just a few streets down. I was at the feast this weekend, and I got to tell you, it is so great to be back down there with that event going in full force. That event hasn't haven't been, had that in a few years. Haven't been, haven't hasn't been like that since 2019. They had it last year, but it wasn't like it usually is. No. I'll tell you what, this year, uh, people were making up for lost time uh, because it was packed. Uh, I went on Friday night. Uh, with uh, former co-host Jordan Gonzalez and a couple friends. All-time great. All-time great time. Uh, so good. It's To me, it's the best event that this city puts on uh, all year. The best. The best. High praise. like that. Entertainment, food, uh, drink, vibes, all that sort of stuff. Um, it is the best. So uh, it was a blast. Uh, just going all, by all the different stands, eating the food, um, going into a bunch of the different bars and restaurants, walking up and down, just seeing everybody having a great time, uh, the street performers with the music, um, the different stages and DJs that had music going on. Um, they had the uh, Browns game on a bunch of the TVs at a bunch of places, which we'll get into later. <coughs> and it was just great. It was awesome. We ended the night at Guarino's <coughs> in the alleyway. Had a nice little stogie, a little cigar uh, with a Peroni and some appetizers and just kind of sat and hung out and listened to the street music that was being played um, on the main street. So it was an absolute great time, and the weather was perfect. Oh, my gosh. last You cannot get better weather than we had last weekend. Yeah. It was about, what, 75? Friday was 75. Sunny. Yeah. 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 Terrible weather. Yeah. Just <laughs> terrible. So it was an absolute blast. So I just wanted to say that uh, as we get into uh, this episode tonight. And I can say that from a from an outside perspective, um, did a lot of ride share driving on Saturday night, and mm-hmm. w- got sent there quite a few times. In fact, the one it was like maybe one fifteen, one thirty in the morning, and there were still. I mean, it technically ended, I think, at midnight, but midnight. there were like. Groups of people just like kind of congregating, just yeah. sitting, talking, uh, pulling out their phones, trying to get rides out of there, which must have been a trip. You know, this this was going on, you know, till well past. I'm assuming well, till well past two a.m. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is one single. This is one single street with thousands of people on it. Yeah. You know, it's like every corner too. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. So, but yeah, the feast and, and they actually went through Monday night this year because the actual. Uh, Holy Day of Obligation was the 15th, which was Monday. So they actually yeah. extended it into Monday this year, which was cool. Yeah. Uh, a lot of years it goes Thursday through Sunday. This year it went Friday through Monday, oh, which is interesting. I actually almost went back down there on Monday, but uh, had something come up and couldn't go down there. But, uh, yeah, usually I like going more than one, t- one, uh, one time a week. We just It was such a good time on Friday that I think maybe I uh, <laughs> got all my fun out one night. So, But uh, it was a blast. It's the best taste of Italy you'll get outside of Italy itself. I mean, quite possibly. Yeah, in this region, yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean you'd have to go. I mean, maybe New York City. You know, the Italian restaurants there. Um, I mean, there are there there are certain areas in this country that have really iconic little Italy neighborhoods. Funny enough, San Diego has a great little Italy. 
I wouldn't expect um, that. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, obviously, New York, uh, Chicago. Um, but don't Cleveland's not going to sell itself short. We have oh, a no. great little Italy district uh, in this city. Mm-hmm. And uh, they always put on a display uh, for our city uh, in the middle of August each year. So awesome time. Uh, definitely wanted to mention that uh, before we got in- into uh, some sports topics. Just for further reinforcing my point of why people are building into neighborhoods like Huff and Glenville. I mean, if you can't if you can't buy right in Little Italy and you can't afford like a four hundred or five hundred thousand dollar property or two thousand dollars in rent a month, just go right next door. Yeah, you know? that's. Absolutely. That's what's going on. I mean, that's that's how Detroit Shoreway uh, got going on the west side because of its proximity to Ohio City and Tremont, and then it became a great neighborhood itself. And, you know, it just kind of dominoes from there, really. So, you know, it's exciting. Speaking of uh, sports. Yeah, let's uh, let's get right into the week that was with the Cleveland Guardians. Gardos! Gardos had a great week, but they are on the verge of trying to piss it away the last couple days. Uh, yeah, that, that is fair to say. Um, everything up until game one of the doubleheader on Monday, was it was just all going swimmingly. Game two, really. Game one, we won. Yes. And then game two, they actually had an early lead and then ended up losing the lead. And then last night just got absolutely screwed by the, by the umpiring. Mmm. Mmm. Yeah. Just a, did you see any of it? I didn't see any of last night's game. Uh, so Detroit got awarded a run on a really crappy uh, interpretation of the blocking the plate rule in the first oh. inning. Where So ball gets hit up the middle. It's a, it's a routine, um, routine grounder up the middle. Okay. The Guardians have the shift on. The ball hits the, the bag at second base and goes towards shortstop. So Tyler Freeman, who was playing third base last night, is basically playing at second base. So the ball hits the the base and goes into shallow uh, left field. He runs to track it down, throws it home because the guy that was on second sees that it goes into the outfield, is now coming home from second on an infield ground out. And Freeman makes an incredible throw, and uh, 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 Austin Hedges applies the tag, gets called out, the Tigers challenge it, saying that it's uh, that Hedges is blocking the plate, and I guess the rule is you can't block you can't block the plate before the catcher cannot block the plate before he gets the ball. So, but he had the ball and he wasn't really blocking the plate. His left leg was just out. He wasn't like over the plate. So Javi Baez has to you know slide kind of out of the way to try and not get tagged, but he got tagged and he was out. They call them out on the field. The Tigers challenge, and then, you know, New York gets a hold of it, and they just completely screw over the Guardians. And then uh, there was another terrible call in the ninth inning, and Tito Francona just had enough. And you know that when Tito Francona gets thrown out of a game, you effed up. You know you've screwed up Royal. Tito Francona does not get thrown out of games i mean he's like the most even keeled guy that he lost ever... his damn mind last night he almost went full-on lou Pinella and went and like grabbed second base and just threw it in the outfield wow <laughs> i mean he was screaming hand gestures you know at uh, f-bombs and 
and gets thrown out of the game in the ninth inning, and the Guardians end up losing four to three. I mean, it was it, I just ripped out of our hands. And and, and look- for all this, you know, I guy guys from Barstool, one of the guys, Chris Castellani. I usually I I really like his stuff. I really like him. He does a great job. But he's like, he's like, you know, saying to Guardians fans, like, quit bitching. It's the Tigers. You should be able to beat the Tigers. Listen, bro. We're in the middle of a pennant race. I don't care who we're playing. You get screwed, you get screwed. Doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, you should have beaten the Tigers. Yeah, probably. But we probably would have beaten the Tigers if it wasn't for the umpires effing up the game completely. You immediately put the Guardians in a three, uh, three runs down after the first inning, in part because of that call at home plate, which, by the way, that's one of the worst rules in sports now, the blocking the plate rule in baseball. Back, This is another one where it's like years ago, that was a good play. You know, yeah. That was a play you'd give your catcher an attaboy for making it more difficult for the, the runner to, to tag home plate and score. You know, yep. It's one of those non-competitive type of rules that's been instituted in sports the last few years. I mean, the NFL has several. Um, they're really high publicized, but you know, that's baseball sort of equivalent of you know, what the some of the rules you see in the NFL where, where you can't hit the quarterback high, you can't hit the quarterback low, uh, you can't hit a defenseless receiver. So now they're base, baseball is basically calling the runner a defenseless player as he's yeah. coming in to try to score. It's like when we all know it's, it's the catcher that usually takes the majority of the abuse on a collision at home plate. He's the one who's stationary. The other guy's running. Well, that's I mean, that's the spirit of the rules to try. You know, that rule is basically put in place – uh, a few years ago, when Buster Posey essentially shattered his leg when he was, um, when he got collided with on a plate, the plate. Uh, so that's what they're doing. They're just trying. They're it's player safety, but interpreting the rule that way it, with that play last night was just wrong. Hmm. So, so, well, anyway, as are... as we're recording this, uh, Guardians and Tigers are wrapping up their series. The Guardians have runners on first and second with one out in the bottom of the second inning. Hopefully, they can, uh, you know, get a lead early and play from in front. Yeah, this has been a bad series for the Guardians. They've lost two out of three. This coming after a series in Toronto where they had won two of three, and then a series before that in Detroit where they had swept the Tigers three straight. So you could see where the Guardians were on a nice stretch of momentum, and this came at a time where. Minnesota started slumping, and the Guardians took over first place in the division. But it seems like the Guardians have lost some of their momentum here this week, um, having losing two of those three. And again, the last the last night's game, as you just described, total son of a you-know-what. Uh, losing Guardians four have ducks on the pond here in the second inning, one out. Bases loaded and one out. <clears throat> so anything but a strikeout or a double play gets you a run. So, Yep. And get a hit you're looking real good so yeah so hopefully hopefully the guardians can get a win here get back on track uh we said this was a big week for the a big week of opportunity for the guardians because they had they had four against the tigers and they had three against the white Sox. and the white Sox, folks you know they haven't really don't look now they're on a little bit of a winning streak here and the guardians the guardians are just one game ahead of the twins and the white Sox. yeah so it's Um, you know what's interesting is this division stinks but it's probably going to be one of the most exciting pennant races going down the stretch because there's not only one, there's not only two teams, there are three teams that can win this division. Yeah, I mean, you look at that. You know, there's no other division <sighs> of baseball that has three teams close for the division lead. If you look around the rest of the league, 
Uh, in the NL Central, the, the Brewers are two, two behind the Cardinals. Nobody else is in contention there. In the East, the Mets lead the Braves by three and a half. Now, maybe that's not so significant because the Braves are surely going to get a wild card even if they get in second. Uh, in the NL Central, the, the loser of that division is probably going to be out. Well, actually, well, now, wait a minute. There's, there's actually six teams that qualify now, so maybe not. But probably still yes, given the lay of the rest of you know the Phillies are sixty five and fifty two. They're actually better than the Brewers right now by two games. Uh, but it's the same deal here in the in the Central, where if you don't win the division, you are not guaranteed to get in the playoffs. You've got plenty of right. other teams that are looking to walk. You know, it could it happen? Yeah, it actually could because the the Blue Jays are not playing very well right now. They're only sixty two and fifty four. That's only a half game for all the Guardians. The Rays are 62 and 53. They haven't been setting the world on fire either. The Orioles are 61 and 56. They're actually on a bit of a, a run here lately. So they're, they've gotten themselves into the discussion. Um, again, Guardians 62 and 55 in first place in the Central. The Twins 61 and 55. The White Sox 61 and 56. So it is very, very tight. And then out west, you've got the Mariners at 64 and 54. So of those teams, and then I didn't mention the Astros and the Yankees, those two teams are locks. So of those eight teams in the American League, if, mm-hmm. I, have the, if I understand this correctly, six of them will get, well, actually nine with the Orioles, six of them will get to the postseason, mm-hmm. and three of them will be out. Mm-hmm. So it's not impossible that one of the wild cards, or even two, depending on how good these teams play the rest of the way, could get out of the Central, but... I wouldn't be counting on that. I, I would be going gung-ho for the division title. No, Do 100%. not depend on the wild card because these teams out east, especially especially teams like the Rays and the Blue Jays, could, could get on runs. Oh, the east point. is a meat grinder. And then you got you got uh, a team like the Yankees who look like in the first half of the season that they would never lose. All of a sudden, they can't win a game. Yeah, they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. They're, they're terrible. They're doing horrible. The Mariners just like swept them aside earlier in the week, and, yeah. and that's part of the reason why the- <laughs> There was a montage of plays in one of their games on that ESPN post on their Instagram page earlier in the week where the Yankees had bad base running on like three or four different occasions. They were getting doubled off and, and picked off. And there's just <laughs> there's a play at third base, and the guys going from first to second was trying to get an extra base thinking they'd be distracted, but he gets tagged out. <laughs> Miles Straw, ground ball to the shortstop. Guy gets thrown out at home on the force out, so they didn't score. So two outs, bases loaded. Steven Kwan now up the plate. Kwan! You know what we need right now, Dan? Yeah, what's that? Since I just mentioned Seattle, get out the rye oh bread and the mustard, Grandma. It's grand salami time. I mean, Stephen Kwan would be the most likely of uh, Grand Slam artists as he only has three home runs on the season, but that would be something. Kwan, what a guy, Stephen Kwan. So anyway, we will monitor the game as the episode goes on, but uh, yeah, uh, what do we got uh, we're finishing up the series with the Tigers. Tigs. They've been kind of thorny for us, haven't they? Yeah, we're nine and nine against them. This this is the last game we play that's, against them. That that you know that's not good. And we have no more games against Stephen them. Stephen Kwan grounds out to first inning over. We didn't score. <laughs> How do you not score with with bases loaded in less than two outs? Could have bunted and they probably. God. Scored. Anyway, uh, 
yeah. So what we last game of the season with the Tigers tonight. Then who do we got? The White Sox. Yep. Oh boy. You know it. This game tonight, and then this series with the um, White Sox. I mean, I don't think this is hyperbole to say this could very well determine uh, the Guardians' fate. You know what? If they lose a third in a row to the Tigers tonight, and then say lose at least two out of three against Chicago, that's that would be very that's negative. tough. That'd be very bad. Well, hopefully, but, hopefully, hopefully, we win tonight and then win two out of three. But it would not necessarily be fatal. So, oh, I know. I'm well. just looking at I'm just looking at the schedule after if you go you got division games this week. You go beyond that into the next two weeks. This next two week stretch really will tell you where the Guardians are on a much broader level than the AL Central. What I mean by that is you play San Diego, mm. Seattle, mm-hmm. Baltimore, mm-hmm. and then Seattle again. Oof. Those are teams that are all very close to the Guardians in the standings. Yeah. You win a majority of those games, that helps you not only in the AL Central, but that helps you not indirectly but directly in the wild card as well because Baltimore and Seattle are two of the teams that you're probably going to have to hold off regardless to get into the field the if next you two, don't win yeah. the Central. The next two weeks is a big contender versus Massive. pretender uh, stretch. Absolutely. That's exactly how I would frame it. Yeah. Contender versus pretender. What are you? Do we really know about the Guardians at this point? Yeah. Because you know, we were starting to think, you know, after coming out of that last week, oh, yeah, it's definitely a contender. But now these games against the Tigers, it's almost getting that vibe like we had in mid-July when they swept us, you know? Yeah. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, the Tigers have been the toughest team for us to figure out this season because usually, uh, especially in the Terry Francona era, um, we destroy the Tigers. If we lose, like – Three I mean, games against them, it's a bad right. season. Right, we've had we've had seasons where we've gone we've gone fourteen and three or fifteen and three one, against them. Seventeen and yeah. two, yeah, yeah. And we're nine and nine against them this year, and we could have a losing record they against the Tigers. The, they win the season series against us this if year, they win tonight. Yeah, tonight. Go but figure. it's still zero zero. We're going into the third inning. I I have faith that uh, that the Gardos are gonna are gonna take it tonight. So let's hope. So all right. So that was the week, well. The week that was. Yeah, that was the week that was with the Cleveland Guardians. Mm. All right, let's get into the Browns here because we have a preseason game under under our belts, and we got to see this team a little bit, and we also have some really interesting news coming out about the uh, Deshaun Watson situation, so we're going to update that. Uh, but first, uh, let's talk about the preseason game. Uh, let's get it out and open right away. Deshaun Watson played in his first game in about 18 months, and he looked it. Um, played three series, pretty much played the first quarter, and he looked like he hadn't played a competitive game in 18 months. Uh, he was not good. Um, I mean, really, the off- I, I, I got to say, for everybody that keeps saying that we have the best, like, like we have the best roster, one of the best rosters in the NFL – Blah, blah, blah. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't know what you guys are smoking. I think the Browns are going to struggle, especially if Deshaun Watson is out for the majority of the season. I think the Browns are going to struggle to score points this year. We have no reliable wide receiver outside of Amari Cooper. We don't have a single proven tight end. Our offensive line... We're still we still have question marks at at both tackle positions, one for health and one for 
uh, whether we think he's actually good or not in Jed Wills. Uh, our our starting center went down with a torn ACL in the in the preseason game. Uh, our backup center, or one of the backup centers, went down with with a torn ACL in the in practice this week. Uh, and yes, we have we have probably the best uh, running back room uh, in the NFL. But if that's all you have in offense in 2022, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle to score. Yeah, it's not 1960 yeah. or 1970 anymore. Right. This team is going to struggle to score. I mean, I don't know what else to – now, is the defense going to be better? Yeah, I actually think the Browns, if if they stay healthy on defense, could possibly have one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Talent-wise, I just they, – they have talent all over the board. Um, so, I'm okay there. But, ah, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, if you just think that we're just going to roll out the football and put up 20 points a game, 20. I'm not saying 30. I'm saying 20. I think the Browns are going to struggle to score 20 points a game this year without with, with Deshaun Watson off the field. I You know, unless the defense is like 85 Bears or 2,000 Ravens good, you know, you're, yeah. you're not going to win a whole lot of games only scoring less than 20 points a game. This team, is go, this team is going to struggle to be 500 with Deshaun Watson suspended. And I'm sorry, if, that may, if, if he's suspended for 12 games and we're 500 – I don't think we're going to the playoffs. So you're not taking any solace in Josh Dobbs going 10 of 13 no. for 108 yards and a touchdown. No. In the same the against same, the really terrible Jaguars. Yeah. In the in the same sense that I wasn't uh, I wasn't taking solace in when Kevin Hogan was doing it in 2014 uh, or whatever he played for the Browns and he was the third string. Mm. No. If we get to a point where Josh Dobbs is playing for us, I mean, we might as well just. Actually, I take that back because. I was about to say we might as well just lose the rest of our games for a better draft pick. We don't get a first round pick. But our draft so. pick is going to Houston. So yeah, they actually they hope we do that. We have no inten- we have no incentive whatsoever to tank. There's no yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's literally no incentive for the Browns to be bad this year. Um but I think that we're going to struggle. I really do. I, you know, all these people that are saying like, "Oh, we're going to beat in week 3. We're going to beat Pittsburgh." Are you what are you high? Like, oh, they don't have a quarterback anymore. Their offensive line stinks. They don't have a... Well, actually, the be- the best argument I have is that the Browns don't lose home games on Thursday. They True. just don't. True. I'm just, Other than that, I got nothing. I, I don't know. I'm very down on the Browns without Deshaun Watson because... it. Listen, if you had Deshaun Watson, I wouldn't have as much of a concern with the wide receiver room because great quarterbacks uplift their receivers. I, Amari Cooper as your number one. I don't think I'm, I don't think Amari Cooper is a number one receiver anymore. I think he's a great number two. Like I, th- I think he would work perfectly in that Jarvis Landry role, possession receiver, uh, run great routes. But I, was say, I think we had I, two receivers on the roster last year that were better than him. Jar- Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, I thought were both. Listen, better. I love I love Jarvis Landry. I don't think he's better than Amari Cooper. I mean, I guess we'll find out this year with them being. On new rosters, but yeah, uh, but it, it's it, defending the Browns' passing game is simple: roll coverage to Amari Cooper and single up everybody else. I mean, yeah, at that point you got to hope that you know guys like David Njoku and that is the know, number one biggest key to unlocking this offense is if Dar- is if David Njoku can get his head out of his rear end, catch the football, 
and actually live up to this giant-ass contract that the Browns gave him. I mean, they're expecting him to be the number two target in the offense. The The reason why I'm saying that I'm not confident in that, he's never proven that before. He's he, This is his sixth year in the NFL. He's never proven pretty much a damn thing. And I like David Njoku. I was pounding the table before the season last year and said that I thought David Njoku could be a huge red zone target for the Browns and catch like 10 touchdown passes. He really ought to be. Obviously, that didn't happen. But, you know, maybe he does with Deshaun Watson as quarterback. I don't think he does with Jacoby Brissett as quarterback. He sure as hell didn't do it with a one-armed Baker Mayfield last year. <laughs> so, I, I'm struggling with how we're going to perform well offensively without Deshaun Watson. Because I just don't think I just don't think Jacoby Brissett is it, and I think that we're going to get to it in a minute. The news coming out about potential settlement uh, agreement with the NFLPA and the NFL on Deshaun Watson's suspension. I'm now of the belief that Deshaun Watson probably is not going to be suspended for for the whole year, as the NFL has put out in the media that they quote unquote want. So if he's suspended for ten to twelve games. You can't go out and trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. That's just an ugly scenario. Oh, it's 10, it's twelve games. That's like to a me, worst case scenario. To if me, he's gone for the season, then you you be able to like make a move or something. To, to me, it's the absolute worst case scenario because, like I said, I have no faith in this offense with Jacoby Brissett as the quarterback, even with uh, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb in the in the backfield. I have no faith in this offense to put up a bunch of points, and. So I don't think our record is going to be very good by the time Deshaun Watson gets back. So if he's suspended for 12 games, we're not making the playoffs. And let's say it's even 10 games. You know, you're he's going to be coming back in a situation where he's almost going to be set up to fail because <coughs> the team will most likely be like at best 500, more likely like four and six or even three and seven, and they're going to be like, well, we pretty much need to win the rest of the games to go to the playoffs, and he was gonna, he's going to be coming back. Three and seven would be a stretch, man. If the Browns to, are three and seven, oh my god! If the Browns yeah. are three and seven, Kevin Stefanski's on the hot seat. I mean, sure. Let, let's say they're four and six. You know, he's going to have to come back, and the talk is going to be, well, how is he going to do? Is he going to be this and that? The spotlight's going to be on him. And oh, by the way, we're trying to win and get back in the playoff hunt. And we got to go play teams like Baltimore and Tampa Bay and Buffalo. Yeah. Not a recipe for success. Yeah. Not to mention, I mean, th- this team stinks, but he's going to have to go back and play in Houston. That too, which, I mean. Unless he gets suspended for 12 games. If you think games. about it, that should be one of our easy games, but every single player on that Texans roster is going to be girded up for that game. So like, Not, it's, to, it's mention, not, not be... to mention the crowd. I mean, like I said, right. like I, I think I said it uh, one or two weeks ago, I mean, that scene is going to be much like uh, – Cleveland in, on December 2nd, 2010, when LeBron came back. Yeah. Um, first, first time he gets sacked, oh, my God. It's going to be like yeah. a, a friggin' explosion went off in Houston. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I – man, I struggle with – listen, you know this. I'm, I'm as big a Browns fan as there is, but I really – I mean, even when, even when we all knew – that the Browns were going to be like four and twelve or three and thirteen or God forbid one and fifteen, zero oh and sixteen. You always knew that I would somehow try and put a positive spin on it. I mean, you know that, right? I, I can't do it, and I'm going to root like hell for this football team, but I just don't see it offensively. You know what this team reminds me of? What? 
a team like the Bears from last year. Oh, dear. Without Deshaun Watson, let, let me throw that caveat in there. Right. The Bears have always had a very good defense, always. But their offense, it's just horrible. And I think the Browns are going to be like that because what's going to happen is teams teams are going to stack the box, and they're going to dare Jacoby Brissett to, to beat to beat you through the air. And that's not going to happen. So, I, man, I hope I am wrong. I will be so happy if I am wrong. But I just don't see it. I don't. Unless, unless a guy like Donovan Peoples-Jones, who is still very unproven, and David Njoku, still very unproven, decide to have career years this year, I just don't see it. Hmm. And again, wow. and again, these settlement talks, these settlement talks are circling around a possible 10 to 12 game suspension with a up to like $10 million fine. The money, I don't care, whatever, who cares. As a Browns fan, yeah, whatever. It's a lot of money for anybody even though even if he's making 230 million guaranteed over the next 5 years, 10 million is still a lot of money, but I don't care. I need to know when Deshaun Watson is going to be on the football field for this football team. And if it's 12 games, that is literally the worst case scenario. Because if it's 12 games, you can't go out and get Jimmy Garoppolo. We had this discussion in our in our uh, group text with regards to what the salary cap does if he if if Deshaun Watson comes back and plays next year. You know, the Browns have the most cap space currently in the NFL, but there's a there's a reason for that. They have to roll that money over into next year's cap because Deshaun Watson's cap number goes from nine to ten million dollars this year to 50 million next year so when that kicks in you have to have that money to roll over and if you go sign Jimmy Garoppolo most of that money is not going to roll over assuming you trade for Jimmy Garoppolo now there is this there is a possible scenario where the 49ers cut Jimmy Garoppolo but that would be around August 31st and if that's the and if that's the case you're bringing Jimmy Garoppolo into your team with about 10 days to prepare for the season which is not ideal no even though he plays in a very similar offense with Shanahan Shanahan's the fancy come from the Shan, the the father Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak tree so their offenses are very similar um and there's also there's also the the thing where you know Jimmy Garoppolo, much like Baker Mayfield, and he actually probably had a more serious surgery than Baker Mayfield. He had surgery on his throwing shoulder this off season. He's just now getting back to throwing. So when you, if you bring Jimmy Garoppolo, if that's you bring, the other caveat, if you do bring in Jimmy Garoppolo, how long is it going to be until he gets hurt? Well, that too. I mean, could you imagine if you trade for Jimmy Garoppolo and he get, like gets hurt week two? Yeah. Well, actually, to be honest with you, I don't even think he's going to be ready for week two. I think you're. I think no matter what, Jacoby Brissett is going to start for the Cleveland Browns week one. No matter if you trade for Jimmy Garoppolo or not, I just don't think health-wise and coming into a new team, I don't think at this point he's going to be ready to play week one. You're probably looking at week three for Jimmy Garoppolo. And at that point, eh, you're just kind of hoping that you can get by the first two weeks considering that your opponents are Carolina and the New York Jets. Well, what do we know about the Browns in the opener? I don't care who they don't play win. in the opener. They don't ever win. win. 
I'm 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 marking in with ink an L on that week. Uh, let me put it this way. This isn't a knock against the team right now. This is just the Browns since they've been back since 99. They don't win openers. And a lot of times it's been because the team has been sorry. The team has been terrible. But even like the last couple years when the Browns haven't been that bad, we still find a way to lose the opener every single year. That's right. Aside from 20, what was it, 2018 where we tied the Tie. Steelers? Might as well be a loss. He tied at home. Still didn't get the victory fridges open. Nope. We had to wait till week three on that. Yep. Um, Thursday night. That's that right. At home. On. Dilly dilly. Um, but, yeah, so it's just a really hard situation for the Browns to navigate right now. And I don't feel envious of Kevin Stefanski one bit for what he's going through. I mean, the man the man has a ready-made roster outside of quarterback to just win as far as, like, your defense. And as much as I've maligned the offense, if you have Deshaun, a, a great quarterback masks a lot of holes in an offense. So if you had Deshaun Watson in there week one, I wouldn't be saying as much of this as I am now. But we're not going to have Deshaun Watson week one. We're probably not going to have Deshaun Watson until week 13 at the earliest so man it's just a mess it's an absolute mess so we'll um a lot of the reporting today has said that uh it was either going to be today or tomorrow that uh we might hear about a potential settlement being reached with the browns and the not the browns with the with Deshaun watson the nflpa and the nfl on discipline. So that is pointing to, I mean, the NFLPA and Deshaun Watson are never going to agree to a settlement that includes a one-year suspension or more. So no. if they're going to reach a settlement, it's going to be less than a year. So right now it's six by Judge Sue Robinson. Does that mean eight, 10, 12? I don't think it's going to be more than 12 because if it's more than 12, you might as well just suspend it for the season. It might season. be a season, in which case the case is going to federal court. It's going to federal court, and the reason why that there are some see see the thing that's funny is um, a lot of people are saying, "Well, the NFL has the hammer; they can just they can just give them whatever suspension they want, you know, and that's it. There's no more appeals after that. Not that simple. Not if it ends up in federal court. Yeah, the NFL it, it, the NFLPA is going to immediately file a lawsuit in federal court, and what's going to happen is the NFLPA is going to try and make this as dirty and as ugly as possible for the NFL. They yep. are they are immediately gonna going to uh, ask for discovery on the Houston Texans portion of this whole case. You know they just they just you know conveniently settled uh, thirty potential lawsuits, and you know we're not even hearing about anything uh, with it. That's going to mm-hmm. come out. You know we've talked ad nauseum about the other owners, Daniel Robert Snyder, Graff, Daniel Snyder, all the, all the email stuff, Jerry, Jerry Jones, Jones, all that stuff, all of that stuff. The NFL does not want that coming out. That's why that they are they are negotiating a settlement right now. Because the NFL really doesn't they, they say that they want to throw the hammer down. They want an indefinite suspension, a year long suspension, blah, blah, blah. They don't really want that because they know what comes after they levied that ruling. It's going to federal court. And it's you you thought Deflate Gate was was dirty and messy. I mean you didn't see nothing yet. So, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. We might know tomorrow. 
Um, I thought there was a chance we might know today based on the reporting. And again, if you're if you're listening to this, it probably is Thursday. So I, I think we might hear news of a settlement on Thursday. So that is pretty much that. Uh, as far as getting getting back to the game, uh, we talked about Deshaun Watson. Uh, he looks rusty. Um, Anthony Schwartz. Oh my God. Anthony uh, Schwartz, aka Dennis Northcutt, can't catch a ball to save his life. I mean, my God. I mean, that's why I'm so down on this. This, you know, if if Andrew Barry has has a blind spot when it comes to team building, it's receiver. Hmm. Again, unless, unless you know, and again, they probably know more than I do, obviously. But unless they know that Donovan Peoples Jones is just going to explode on the scene this year, and David and Joku is going to live up to that contract that they just gave him. I mean, if that happens, yeah, probably singing a different tune, and yeah, we're probably better than four and six, five and five after ten games. You know, potentially when Deshaun comes back, we're probably six and four or something like that. Yeah, but I, I can't just assume that that's going to happen. I have to go by what I know. I mean, if those are the guys that you are depending on, it's not a good thing, right? And and I, I leave Amari Cooper out of this because you pretty much you know what you're going to get from him. You're going to get very solid play. Probably Jarvis Landry-esque, maybe a little bit more. And, you know, there's that. But, yeah. I will say that uh, Jerome Ford, fourth-round pick, running back out of Cincinnati, looked phenomenal uh, in the game against Jacksonville. More juice in that running back room. Oh, my God. I mean, that that kid, if he has two more games like that, he's going to get Kareem Hunt traded. And word on the street is that Kareem Hunt is not exactly thrilled with his situation right now. No, I mean, he's looking, you know, he, he can see the forest through the trees, right? Like, the Browns drafted a running back that they really, really like, Jerome Ford. Uh, they have Dearness Johnson, who they also really, really like. The Browns are not taking, more, most likely are not taking four running backs into the season. I mean, you I guess think, they... You think I, he's going to get cut? I guess they could. No, they won't cut Kareem Hunt. No, they'll trade him. He has too much value. Even his checkered past, I mean, he has too much value. He, he could start for 20. A whole bunch of teams. He could start immediately for 20 teams in the NFL. Yeah, They're, they're not just going to cut Kareem Hunt. Um, but, who? I, I mean, I guess, could they take four running backs into the season? I They'd guess. They'd probably just keep four on the practice squad if they can't move Hunt. <laughs> Boy, I don't, I don't know how it. Yeah. Or maybe they move Johnson. I mean, I don't know. They could, could move. Too. They could do that. I don't know. But they have a decision to make in that room for sure. Jerome Ford looked so good. I'm sure. I'm sure your brother Matthew can can attest to that. Uh, being a Bearcat, I'm sure he's watching uh, yeah. play a lot. He's really good. He's he's uh, he's going to be really good. Guy was part of the O in thirteen and O. That's right. At Cincinnati last yeah. year. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be interesting. So uh, Browns uh, are starting. Uh, they were off today. They are starting joint practices with the Philadelphia Eagles tomorrow and Friday ahead of the preseason second game, the home game against the Eagles on Sunday. So uh, it'll be nice to see the Browns go up against another team in practice. I, I'm always leery like about that. I mean, you yeah, saw. You it saw. It sort of makes sense in a sense because you just you know 
break up the monotonous of just gives going you a different against... look, gives you yeah. some different personnel. You can try out the new things. You, you don't have to worry about hitting each other in practice. But you're always holding you your know? breath, man. You're always holding your breath. You're like, like well, if there's a fight, or yeah. if there's something ridiculous. Well, you happens. look at it. Uh, no. That happened in the. Uh, was it yesterday? The uh, the Patriots and the Panthers, uh, they're doing joint practices. They had a giant brawl. I'm so shocked that, um, any th- that involves the Patriots. So the, shocked. I think it was the Lions and the Colts. They had the same thing. I think today there was a brawl in their joint practices, which is interesting because Hard Knocks is following the Detroit Lions this this, uh, this offseason. Well, you talk about Hard Knocks. <laughs> that's a franchise that's had a pretty rough go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. But uh, so, yeah, we are chugging right along here in the uh, second. I tell you, I tell you, who really look good. Also, the Browns had some standouts from their. It, it's interesting is the Browns didn't have a first or a second round pick in this year's draft, and their rookies were the guys that stood out. And Martin Emerson, their their top pick in the third round, the cornerback had a pick six against Jacksonville. It was funny. It was a it was a it was a pass that was a little high that he just ripped away from the receiver and just took it back. He's a big corner, man. He almost looks like a safety. He's like 6'3", like over 200 pounds as a corner. I wonder he if is he's got the top-end speed to, to cover guys. If he does, Possibly. great. Yeah. That, that's not, you, I mean, you were talking about running back being stacked. I think the Browns are actually even more stacked at corner. I think the Browns have about five starting caliber cornerbacks. I mean, you talk Good. about... Uh, you talk about uh, obviously Denzel Ward, Greg, New- Greg Newsom, uh, Martin Emerson, AJ Green, who's had an incredible camp, and who's the other guy? Who am I missing? I'm missing somebody. There's another guy in there that I'm missing, but yeah, I, I think the Browns could have the best running back room in the NFL, and I think they also could have the best secondary in the NFL. So, not to mention they could have the best pass rushing duo in the NFL. So there's talent all over that team, and most of it is on defense. De- pretty much all of it is defense, the guards, and the running backs. And then quarterback which, once Deshaun Watson gets back. Which begs the question, you have all this talent, but is in all the places that really, you know, I can't say it doesn't matter because having corners is super important and, and having good defensive ends is super important too. Um, I would, Yeah, I would say corner, corner is probably – yeah, corner and defensive – pass rusher and corner are probably two of the top four positions in – you got to have on defense in the sport and it's well yeah on a team because other than that on the offensive side you'd probably would say quarterback and offensive line because what i've what i've been told and what i've historically considered is when when you can when you're building a football team in this day and age five positions that matter the most well number one is quarterback obviously Mm -hmm. but then the other four are left tackle Mm -hmm. wide receiver defensive end and corner yeah yeah Depend and depending on you know obviously you have different rankings for those positions depending on how you want to build your team but yeah those are the five and I think the Browns are seriously deficient in two of those five well they're seriously deficient in three of those five until Deshaun Watson uh, comes back from suspension right the three on the offensive side yeah yeah and again unless Peoples Jones. And Njoku, I, I consider – I, in this case, I consider Njoku a receiver pass catcher. Yeah. 
Um, if those guys step up to the plate, then you're okay at receiver. I mean, if you've got an elite tight end, that's a game changer. You, you, right. don't, you and, don't need to be so great at right. receiver. Right, and, and Andrew Barry is sticking his neck out on the line for, for David Njoku. I mean, they gave him $56 million. He's never proven anything in the NFL in that's five years. That's insane. I can't believe they did that. Well, they obviously think that he has the potential, and this is the year. It's You got the contract. He, you know, David Njoku over the last few years has asked for a trade multiple times. He's had issues with his contract, and he's just a guy that he's had trouble staying healthy, and he's had trouble catching the ball. It's time to catch the ball, man. They obviously don't think very highly of Harrison Bryant with them giving David Njoku that kind of Well, contract. I think, yeah. I mean, David or Harrison Bryant, he's going into his third year. He's still, he's still very young. And, you know, they're going to need him too because Kevin Stefanski is a very tight end heavy offense. You know, So they're going to need him too. And he was probably my single most aggravating player a year ago because not really only it wasn't he, Austin Hooper. I, I mean, I he, mean, you could point to he any, was pretty bad too. You could point to anyone in the tight end room. I, you know, the thing with the thing with Harrison Bryant, not only did he have trouble catching the football last year, he had issues with putting the ball on the turf too. True, which is even worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you drop a ball, the play's over. When you fumble the ball, you give it to the other team. Right. So, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, who all plays this week. Um, because of the now truncated preseason with only three games, do you play your starters in week two and not play any of them in week three and get ready for the season? Or do you ramp up and play them all in week three? What's interesting about the season now is the NFL essentially – got rid of the fourth preseason game and turned it into a bye week. So the Browns are going to play uh the Browns are going to play on Sunday which is the 21st and then I think they play Saturday the 27th 27th and they essentially then have 2 weeks off until the season starts. So yeah. do you play your starters in week 2 and week 3 or do you you know, get the is it or is the dress rehearsal Sunday, and then you kind of just have off in week three. If it were me, I would just progressively build it up. First week, I think I would too. Yeah, maybe they play a couple of series, but that's about it. Yeah. Second game, you guys play into the second quarter. Maybe you know, some guys play till halftime, and that's it. And the yeah. third game, you third got game guys you play playing into the second half. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the customary thing with the uh, dress rehearsal is you have the starters play the whole first half. And then you have them play the first drive out of the second half, because so you can simulate, you know, coming out of halftime, mm-hmm. because that's very important. Because a lot of times, <laughs> yeah, definitely, a lot of times. I mean, we talk about it more in in the NBA about teams coming out flat in the second half in the third quarter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Cavaliers are notorious for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the same in the NFL. I mean, so it's good to simulate that in the dress rehearsal is to have them come out and. Uh, Ideally, what you would want is in that dress rehearsal is to play your guys the whole first half, and you have the ball last going into halftime, so you can run a two-minute drill going into the half, so you can kind of simulate that, and then you come out of halftime with a, with a series. So we'll see. We'll see if the Browns do. I agree with you. I would ramp up to the third preseason game and do that because uh, you have two weeks essentially after that, maybe two weeks in the, in a day after that before the season starts. So. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, 
but yeah, so tomorrow we start, like I said, uh, inter-squad practices with the Philadelphia Eagles, and then we have the preseason game with them on Sunday, and hopefully by the time we talk to you guys next week, we have some sort of resolution with uh, the Deshaun Watson situation, because at this point, at this point, I'm so sick and tired of it, I just need it to be over. I'm just so done with it. Just get, just, just get the ball on the freaking tee. And and the unfortunate thing is, I was going to bring this up too. I, I mentioned earlier that high school football starts this week. Yeah, that's only a couple days away. We're still almost a month away from the NFL regular season starting. Yeah. You know what I I was going to say this off the air, kind why, of why as, as we're getting into divergence between the two. That's just so as we're weird. getting into the football season. Um, we should add a high school football segment to our show. And during football season. Oh, yeah. And also, since you and I, I haven't been able to do this uh, when I had the other guys on the on the podcast because they weren't in the uh, Fantasy Football League, uh, we should update our Fantasy Football League every week. Oh, absolutely. So Absolutely we should. So we'll do that. Um, we'll talk about that, and we'll put, put something together for that. But I think that's going to do it for us on this episode. Thank you guys for listening. And, uh, yeah, you can follow us on social media, at the LOTL Podcast. And... Yeah, we're getting closer. Football season. Uh, big big night, big week for the Gardos. Hopefully uh, they can um, do well and uh, stay in first place. And, uh, yeah. So I'm Dan. Uh, that is Steven. And you have been listening to Living Off the Land, episode 224. And we'll catch you guys next week. See ya. Bye.